Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Vicki and Amanda. I know. Anytime we have a guest, I feel like I have to introduce ourselves. I don't know why. When also when we have a guest, we share a mic, Vicki and I do. So sometimes I'm like, wait, I can't respond because I'm not. Cl-. I mean, my voice carries. It probably would be fine. But let's be honest. We're glad you guys are listening to us again. If you're listening, hopefully you are. We have a, a special guest today. Before we do that, we wanted to make uh, just a quick kind of announcement. We're going to be having our second annual panel event that, again, will be recorded on the pod. We don't have a set date or place or time or too many details to give you yet. We're in the process of planning that right now. But our first annual um, that happened in September last year, we're going to have another one in September of 2019. So, you know, if you're planning on having some family vacations and you really want to attend our event because you didn't get to attend last year or you attended and you loved it, don't plan a trip in September. I'm just putting it out there. Plus, school starts, so I mean, it's probably like it won't be Labor Day weekend, so you can plan a trip Labor Day weekend. So look out for that. Anyway, today's guest, we're always shouting out Connection Cafe with Help Me Grow, and this is one of the connections, I suppose you can say, that we made with Coach John John. So I'm going to have him introduce himself and tell you guys a little bit about what he does and why he's a coach. Hi guys. Um, yeah, Coach John John. Just to start off with Coach, Coach, I think, is something that is overlooked and not really valued by the people who have the privilege and honor of what Coach means. And what it means is to really help build, empower, and support not just the children, but the families. So uh, John John's Academy is really based on the idea that every child, every family is a case basis and that we're really promoting, associating exercise with fun. And the principles of, by doing that, is establishing structure, uh, creating continuity and consistency, and really allowing, taking the pressure off the kids to just be as free-loving and true to their essence while on each child's evolutionary path of their own stages and becoming the best version of themselves without sounding too. I mean, I love that definition because I feel like people should call us coach now too. (laughs) Amanda and I always say that we're counselors in every sense of the word when these parents come to us. Sometimes, oftentimes, we're the first person that understands like they may be having struggles with the school district. You know, their child might have autism with the ADHD, but also like an auditory processing, but nobody understands that. And because I speak Spanish, oftentimes the Spanish speakers are just like, what? Like, where have you been? Like, you get it. And like, that's what we feel like you do. Because at the Connection Cafes, you would always kind of introduce yourself and kind of, you were always having something going on. And because of Amanda's connection with the VIP soccer, her being a coach for kiddos with disabilities, we were just like, whoa, what is this guy doing? And how can we like refer people to him? Or like, so the Academy, is it based in South County? So it's based in South County. I'm really under the 133 in Irvine down to San Clemente, always 
am looking to expand. I would love to expand to North County. But yeah, we're in South County right now. We have five different park programs throughout South County and just really lucky with the families that we have in terms of really creating a communal aspect that is not just enriching to each family, but also connecting families that are more of kindred spirit. Well, and that's so important. I mean, we always tell parents all the time, you're not alone, you know, and it's hard because a lot of times I think something that happens to them is very personal, you know, with regards to the school district. And we have to say, I know that it feels like you're the only one going through this. And it probably doesn't always help to hear it in the moment, but like, you're not the only one. It's not. In some instances, some parents are very much determined advocates for their child and they fight hard and rightfully so. And people take that the wrong way. Right. And so sometimes it may be a little bit more personal that way. But at the end of the day, like people are, you know, if it's happening to one family, it's happening to another. And so it's often so great to see communities kind of come together, you know, and we, I mean, we get a lot of our clients from word of mouth and it's like, we'll end up with like five kids at the same school because, you know, one parent we were able to help and then they tell all the other families and then we're in an IEP meeting with the same team. <laughs> like, I mean, I have some that are like that, but. Well, it's definitely a misconception of the idea that like mass marketing or social media marketing or any of those things, especially in the industry that we're in with children and, and families, it's like we're dealing with their most prized possession. Yeah. So it's a thing where word of mouth is really, I believe, the only way yeah. for it to be sustainable and to Absolutely. be beneficial for every family, yeah. you know. You want to know that you're going with someone you trust? Right. Absolutely. So how did you get into all of this? What's your kind of background that kind of led you on this path? Yeah, well, at 20, I went to Chapman and I was doing, I had to, my dad was like, get a job, you're in the dorms. So... <laughs> I uh, applied for work study and because I was pretty busy with film stuff. I was in film school. So something that would be able to work with my schedule. And I looked down the list and I saw working with blind children. I believe it's the Tustin Blind Children Center. Phenomenal place. I mean, really, I give that even prior to my ESL, English as a Second Language, and Southeast Asia years, that was really the whether it was subconscious ba foundation of everything that John John's is today um, and kind of the way we go about working with the children and all the years that we've had but it was exceptional because it was really more based on vibrations and intuition and complementing you know because you're dealing with you're losing a sense but then I think in a lot of ways I don't want to sound corny but you're gaining so much more because the children, it was literally like being like little Luke Skywalkers, really. Incredible. Like it was yeah. phenomenal. And I, I can still remember a lot of the conversations I had with a lot of the kids. And it was a true sanctuary. They, like whoever, I'm just giving a shout out, whoever has, has <laughs> built that place. And I hope that it's still the same, that it really is. It allowed me to see a whole new way of really if you build something and, and you hire the right people, then everything can really, you know, flourish. Yeah. So that was only a few months, but a few very imprinting, impactful months of my life. And at 23, I needed to explore the world. I needed to see a little bit of something outside of Orange County in Southern California and California and America. And... I went a 45-day backpacking trip turned into three and a half years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So 
everybody says that I already knew that I was staying because I kind of let go of everything. Yeah. I cut ties with all contracts or anything like that. But And then my first week there, I was lucky enough that a mutual best friend through one of the organizations I was in at Chapman was actually teaching there. And this was in Thailand, I apologize. And this was about an hour north of Bangkok. And he, I think he really just wanted me to stay. I think he wanted to have a friend. But at the end of the day, he got me a job. And I had no prior experience. I mean, all his friends and everyone had been there for about three to four weeks already and had done their teaching credentials for TEFL or TESOL or whatever organization that the uh, schools out there take from for foreigners who uh, speak English as a first language, native speakers. And I remember it was a quick thing where the agency, lovely Thai lady, Nook, she took me out to dinner and she's like, you seem nice, I'll take you. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. Awesome. And then I was like, and she just handed me books. Oh, wow. And it was one of those things, I I didn't sleep a second that night. Not even, I don't think I even like closed my eyes because I was literally on the edge of my bed and as dramatic as the sound or melodramatic <laughs> as the sound it was literally the truth and I remember there was a fan on and just one light on and it was super hot obviously and mm-hmm. I'm just staring at these books like it was like the make or break of my degree or the, the make or break of a relationship or something and it was just I could feel the books just compounding on my shoulders and this burden of okay like if you're gonna do this you're gonna do this right yeah you're a teacher now. right like this is a responsibility this is a privilege this is an honor Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. so I think that sleepless night (laughs) and I remember the first because and then another thing was just the the reality of I didn't want to be a phony yeah I didn't want to be one of those people and there's so many of them unfortunately you know everywhere and you know but uh so it was a thing where that first day I walked into my first little kindergarten class, and oh. mind you, I was the only foreign teacher at the school of oh. maybe 600 kids, and it was ages three to 12. Oh, wow. And it was in this really lovely factory town where like Honda and Toyota have the, some of their main factories, and it's about an hour outside of Bangkok, like I said. And so hardworking families, but families that want like their kids to succeed and do yeah. better than they do right so it was even for me it was like recognizing that too was another reason to even do more being that it was a certain type of place and a certain type of culture there so I remember I, I, it kind of was this montage of fluttering images of all the years of all the good teachers bad teachers good have. coaches yeah. bad coaches <laughs> nice people right older and I thought about like when I was like a lot of kind of I'm, I'm losing retrospective yeah like yeah because you're like look yeah yeah hindsight so I was yeah mm-hmm. hindsight of all the positives and negatives and just everything in between that that played an effect of making me the person I am today so it was a thing of kind of a collection and just kind of sorting it all out and but going through the process of what works, what doesn't, this right. trial and error, yeah. and trying to keep the error as, as minimal as possible. Well, but. you cared, right? And so you put that on yourself. And we see that in a lot of administrators and teachers. And, and you're always going, like you said, there's phonies everywhere, right? And you kind of start to see 
those that just care a little bit, you know, and you can tell and they might get bogged down and my, I've said this several times, my dad's whole side of the family, they're all teachers. So like when I said I was going in this area of the law, they were like, you sue school districts. Well, I'm like, listen, when you have 45 kids in your classroom and four of them have autism, two of which have behaviors, you're going to want a one-to-one aid. You're going to want me to advocate for that kid to have that aid with the training so that you can take care of the rest of your kids in your class. And just as you were talking, it's funny how you reflect and you look back and every just like in the moment you're just like oh this camp or this school for the blind and testing yeah I'll do it like whatever but then now as you reflect back it's like you said yes to that and then it opened up like a whole series of things and then you said yes to another thing and like that's what I look back like when I you know I was going to be an environmental law attorney like but I said yes to the clinic and then it's like now I have this business like it's just so weird because you don't think about that right? right like I said yes to public counsel and I did guardianships and like that's an aspect of our law firm too. it's like so crazy so no, I appreciate I mean, you doing that reflective because it's weird like you know that you start to think about it and you're just like wow this all actually built up it's seems random and then you look back and you're like oh it kind of all happened the way it needed to absolutely yeah and it's like it's really one of the one of those things of uh i was listening to a podcast yesterday and it was really insightful and the professor which you could deem a psychologist she was highly highly intelligent and very on point and dialed and she basically said a key to happiness is the simple appreciation of just having choices and I thought that was so powerful because it's like that's what you're talking about right now it's like we all have like plans we all have goals we all have this idea of what we want in life and even for our kids but it's like if we just really kind of dialed it back and we're just appreciative in the present with the choices that we have because in reality everyone like that's not the case in majority of the world. Yeah, a lot of people don't have those choices. Right. And I mean, no, I think about that too. I always think like my schooling and my basically everything up until this point, I feel like has been unconventional. I didn't go the path that like I thought I was going to in college and same with law school and same with going into a job. And then, you know, even opening up our own firm, it was never something that like until like I met Vicky, it was never something that I thought. I didn't even think I was going to go to law school until a year before I did. <laughs> right. And I always thought like, oh, I never did anything. And I always think back to like my childhood and thinking, well, maybe I should have done things this way or this way because then I, you know, would have prepared better for, you know, places I am, but it wouldn't have gotten me there. But you're right. I've done it all unconventional. And I could say that, like, I love what I do and I love the place that I'm at. And not everyone can say that. And I think that's where, like, when we think about why we love what we do is because we're trying to promote being able to get kids to have that, too. And the reading, writing, and arithmetic, the choices of that, that's not really a choice. Being able to give them an opportunity to be who they are. I love what you said about um, the kids that you worked with that were visually impaired, uh, how when you are dealing with a kid who has any kind of disability, so many people think, oh, well, you know, we got to say, oh, you know, poor them or, you know, feel bad for them or just think that they're not going to be able to achieve what they want to achieve. And we hate when people like make those assumptions. We love to be able to say, well, this child is living with autism or this child is living with an auditory processing. But whatever it is that they're living with, 
they also have other abilities that make them who they are. And we need to be focusing on that and giving them the opportunity to be able to go to that. So that's something where we're big into, you know, arts education and athletics and all these different things because it's through those programs that kids are able to have those choices and figure out what are they good at and who really are they. Cut you off. So you were in that school. No, no, segue what Amanda (laughs) was just saying, it's like it kind of leads perfectly to – so being a ESL second language teacher in in Southeast Asia in Thailand with kids from 3 to 12 essentially what happened was I got in the groove and but I I listened to the kids it was a thing where it was like what are they responding right. to and I, I I believe it was Michael J Fox I, I saw a quote one time or a meme or whatever they call it <laughs> in saying that if your children are not responding to your teaching, it's not their fault. Yes. And I thought that was so powerful because it's like, that's absolutely true. It's like, you know, what I found was kind of in anything else I do creatively, because I think there's a sense in even teaching or coaching that you have to be very impromptu and in the moment and be ready to adapt because, well, children first off are very temperamental because right. you know they don't they're uh, regulating their emo- they're learning right. to regulate right mm-hmm. because i mean it's like and depending on what age you're dealing with some don't even have the vocabulary mm-hmm. to express their true feelings yes. and then even the cognitive thinking mm-hmm. more so mm-hmm. to even have the vocabulary to express those feelings right. so it was a thing of listening to the kids and so by listening to the kids it was really able to kind of create this more I would say, well, in sports terms, we say like player coach, right? Mm -hmm. But student teacher kind of thing where it's like, let's. Yeah, student first. Right. And it's, yeah, I love, yeah, Yeah. even that right there, you know, so it, but it was a thing. So going from that first year and then I experienced some things in the sense of the harsh realities of intercultural differences and what nationalists the country would want to promote as opposed Mm to a more free-minded, lateral, young, 20-year-old <laughs> who would want to, want to yeah, promote yeah. and share. And and so um, went through a series of schools and even spent time with actually traveling. We would take kids to certain different sectors of Thailand, and there would be these little English camps, and we were kind of there. I mean, it was really beautiful because you could tell a lot of these kids maybe the happiness wasn't there, the joy of life wasn't mm-hmm. there, and... We were, you know, people from a far land just kind of giving them happiness and love and joy and and really enjoying even learning in a way that was not promoted or part of the curriculum in that country. you like filling a void, right? Yeah. I mean, really, really there was a thing of, I always say, being an ESL teacher and depending on if you're at like a very strict, like what do you call it, um, they call it, they have a certain prep name in terms of the higher education schools. But it was a thing of, you are part entertainer, or you're part like creating that attraction towards whatever you're trying to teach. Oh, interesting. Because you have that language barrier, so you have oh, to be more available in other ways, body language, tonation. Like almost more animated. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You got to keep their attention because, I mean, it's even hard enough when you speak the same right. language to keep <laughs> right. the attention right. of a child yeah. or an adolescent. So 
taught all ages. At the end of my three and a half years, I taught all ages from three to up to university. And then I even got into teaching. I was working with uh, big corporations and their high exec salespeople and teaching them how to work with intercultural English, oh, interesting. En- okay. English corporation yeah, yeah. and understanding the psychology behind it. So that was that was mm-hmm. a very interesting thing. So I really taught all ages in Thailand. So it was it was a very interesting um, place to be, being that I was kind of outside of their picture frame of, of what was going on in their world. Yeah. And then to kind of see. And then so I what really brought me back to America was realizing, okay, everything I learned here I can now apply an institute and hopefully expand and help families here yeah and really give the appreciation aspect of so I came back to America after three and a half years and then I um, knew I wanted to work with kids I knew I wanted to do something meaningful and purposeful and I saw something on Craigslist 20 bucks an hour get to play with little kids <laughs> and coach soccer. And I'm like, yeah. well, all that right. crosses all, yeah. you know, everything <laughs> done, I need, done, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and then I was lucky enough at the point that the person who owned the program wasn't really in a place that wanted to operate and run it. Mm-hmm. So I had that opportunity and I really just ran with it. Yeah. And one of the key pillars or principles of what I wanted to really promote was getting back to the appreciation of having options and have having choices and because of what really hurt working abroad was seeing how there were no programs yeah. no sports programs no there was nothing with outside the walls of the schools that allowed children to excel to express to push the limits of their physical or mental or spiritual or emotional essence and it was that's due to not wanting any not creating a platform for social mobility and just that the propaganda with which you know they're doing things which is fine but you know where you fit in that we appreciate is you know the saying that it takes a village right to raise it and it really does if you look at that core essence of how children were raised it was all hands on deck you know but we're so like isolated sometimes in the united states and something that you had said before we recorded where you were saying you know the families that you're working with they become their own little tribe right and they all kind of and i think that's what's unique you know sometimes parents just kind of drop their kids off i know you see it too where the parents kind of start like bonding but like I like your mission it's like it's not just for the kids like I want the families to be involved as well and then they feel you know you do feel strength in numbers and I think that you know it takes a village aspect is like syncs up with like your mission for what it is for the academy absolutely I mean this you know we're highly social emotional beings so we want that communal aspect, even if we are individualistic or introverted or whatever people want to label us or what we allow people to label us. So it's that thing of, and really at the end of the day, as much as you can get through to a child, if you don't have their parents on board, there's no one to reaffirm that message. Right. right. You need that consistency at home and school. And we say that a lot. And that's where we get a lot of times we try to come in and I guess 
in a way, coach the families and the school districts in really collaborating with each other and collaborating with everybody that's working with the child. Because if not everyone, and like this is what I try to do with my kids that I coach, is try to get information from the families about what's happening at school. Not because I need to know what's happening at school, but like, you know, if there's behaviors that are happening at home or at school and they're handling it a certain way and it's working, I want to use that same language. I want to use the same prompts. I don't want to do it differently because there's no point in reinventing the wheel. And especially, and you just never know. I mean, yeah, it could be in, we get this all the time, schools say, well, it's a different environment. So different things, no. It's absolutely wrong because this thing, it's like, for instance, it's like you're not going to treat a child that is having to go through divorce that is with uh, the same discipline or the same kind of, you know, boundaries as you would a child that's, going through something maybe a bit less intense or more intense. It's just everything truly is a case-by-case basis. And the fact that you have decided or just choose to be a detective because it's like we have to understand where each person's coming from. And, I mean, well, that'd be a good life motto for everyone, (laughs) wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, people have different experiences. And so even using a term that, you know, some therapist in the past had used and it just triggers the kid, like you would have no idea, right? Unless, you know, that was shared. And I think that oftentimes, you know, for us, we have the attorney-client privilege. So people delve into a little bit more, but I can see you being able to just kind of pull that out of them naturally. They'd feel comfortable enough to talk to you or to the other families. Because, yeah, sometimes when we're doing presentations, like, when they don't want to ask questions, it's like, mm, you, it's okay. You're in a safe, like it's, you know, everybody with the safe spot, but like you're in a safe place, right? Like we can communicate and I feel like you're able to like accomplish that in a fun way too. Like I'm sure the kids just like, it's like kid centered, like you said. And you're yeah, like no, it's, it's, on that. it's pretty exceptional. I mean, I think another great thing is that the kids are so in it and, and really what it comes down to is, I think if more adults around kids didn't see kids as little adults and really just accepted and appreciated that they're going to do this, they're going to do that. But like that's what like keeps the spontaneity and the variance of what a child can bring due to their childlike wonder or not you know, like we talked about being so innocent and pure and and really more the true essence before a certain age. Well, kids are naturally curious and wanting to explore, right? And we kind of knock that out of them the minute they hit, a lot of times kindergarten, right? Or even preschool, right? Then they're put into this structure, into this box where it's no longer okay to do these things, right? When they're toddlers and when they're infants, it's okay to let them put anything they want in their mouth, right? Because they're exploring just like a dog would, a puppy would, right? But then all of a sudden it's like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. And And majority of the time, probably with no explanation of why, you know, it's like, I think if parents and I'm, I'm not, telling parents how to parent whatsoever (laughs) but if they were prepped to be able to prep their children and reacting or responding the proper way to well why daddy why mommy blah 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 then you create more lateral thinking than linear right Right. and then you're creating more i think more kind of i think you're engraving more brain lobes to think in a way that you're teaching a child 
um, how to think, not what to think. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and I hear from a lot of people like, oh, I'm not creative enough to do that. Right. I grew up doing arts and crafts with my grandma, like all my life. We did a lot of stuff and I'm not, I would never call myself an artist, but I would consider myself creative in the sense that like I can do things by hand and whatnot, but it doesn't mean everything like looks great, but it's just thinking outside the box and having the creative mind. But I think a lot of people see things like that are like on Etsy or like if you like handmade something, they're like, oh, I'm not creative enough for that. And it's because I think a lot of times when kids they love to draw and they love to do art and they love yeah, to do all this stuff. Every child's creative. At, every child. I mean, I honestly think that everyone is creative in their own way. I mean, Absolutely. you think of someone who develops a different business product or a different business model or teaches in a different methodology or any. I mean, most people have a certain way of doing something in their lives. Mm -hmm. That is being creative. Absolutely. Creative isn't just arts and craft creative, right? Or artistic in the realm of arts, right? And that's something that I think that it's very easy to stifle in a child and think, well, you have to do it this way, so don't think outside the box. And, you know, we always try to say, okay, we want to be creative. And we always say that, like, our firm, we really love to think outside the box. And we try to encourage that. And that's where we're oftentimes very successful with our clients, being able to get them good results, is because we're not trying to do a one-size-fits-all. You know, parents may come to us with one thing in mind, and we say, well, how about this? Because the thing that you're asking for, the school's not going to go for for whatever reason, but here's something that's equally as good beneficial for your child that they think that they will go for. Right. And I think in many aspects of dealing with kids, that's like the best way to go about it is just trying to be as creative as possible. But I want to make sure we touch on this because I know Vicki and I know a little bit more about the Academy, but I know our listeners might not. So tell us a little bit about the programs that you do offer. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, as I like to say, John John's Academy Character development and socialization skills are the fundamental base. Soccer's just a tool. So by going by that quote, we, like so many lovely other programs, work in a way of really creating a, a safe sanctuary type of environment for the kids. And we work on establishing and building rapport first with each child. Because if you don't have a child, they're not going to listen to you. They don't care. And we'll just like most people as well. So, and so going from there, then we, everything's very quick pace in terms of keeping all the games and the games that we play are very creative and uh, creative plays. So we're using, you know, spaceships and animals and various things that kids would be playing on the playground with, but then just using it as kind of the vessel to then allow the children, to take the pressure off the children in terms of, oh my gosh, I gotta kick this ball in this net and I don't know how to do it. Well, if I'm an airplane, then I'm not thinking about kicking the ball in the net, I can just go be an airplane. Yeah. And then they're learning and applying and building confidence and then just working on different aspects of teamwork and sharing. And then the inverse of sharing, which is possession and respect of possession and, and manners and politeness and, okay, we don't take, we ask. We don't tell, we listen first. And then just trying to kind of sports and so many different activities are such a great what, what analogy or a great metaphor for how to deal with life and how to learn how to deal with life and life skills. So People could say, yeah, it's just a little soccer program, but we're trying <laughs> so to do a little more, more than that. Yeah. Yeah. If parents are interested, how can they contact you about it? www.johnjohns, 
jonesacademy.org. So J-O-N-J-O-N-S-A-C-A-D-E-M-Y dot org. We'll have it in that the is, show yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, we put you on the spot. Yeah, no, no. And uh, Facebook, John John's Academy. And yeah, we're... It's like right up the alley, I'm sure, of a lot of our listeners. And before we wrap up, we always like to ask, like, do you have like a story that like makes you happy or with one of your, maybe one of your kiddos or just anything that's been happening that was fun for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess the one that I always circle back to that's kind of the holy grail or the cornerstone of of whenever even even if i have a child that's a bit more going to be a challenge or difficult or a family or whatever it's there was this little girl my first year at the school in thailand in the north outside of bangkok there was a little girl named i and when you're an esl teacher and you're young and you're coming from the west you're almost kind of considered like a little rock star. So you walk into class and everybody's just freaking out, you know, even the teachers. And one of the ways, and this little girl did not, she didn't even give me the time of day. It was like, 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 uh, you're not. I felt like I was seventh grade again. And it was, you know, my crush was just like not into it whatsoever. But I look at the teachers and I go, what's going on here? And very subtly, though, while I'm doing, like, the morning A, B, C, D, like, all the different English, itsy bitsy spider, all those things. And I'm kind of just like, what's going on here? And in a very kind of – and these were two people who were very lovely to me and had taken me to really appreciate and understand their culture on the weekends. So they were decent, good people and really good teachers as well with a good heart. But something that was a bit disheartening to me was – they responded in, oh, she's autistic. And it was way worse than that in all reality. And in that moment, I could have done so many things, but I kind of just internalized it, sat on it, channeled it, obviously very all very quickly. And in that moment, I was like, okay, what song have I not done yet? Oh, skiddly dinky dinky do, skiddly dinky do, I love you. And as a kid, that was always my favorite. So I haven't heard that one in a while. (laughs) I I made that the staple uh, song at the end of every time I went to that classroom. And what I would do, and that first day when I found out that I was autistic on the spectrum, I did the song. And then I put my hand on her and I gave her a big hug and I would whisper in her ear in Thai and in English, I love you. And I did that for about a good month straight. And then when I was actually did the song, one day I came in, and really unexpected too, started doing the song, all the kids are into it, everybody's dancing, everybody's happy, loving, 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 and I get this big embrace and these two little arms go right across the side of my leg and it was a thing where it was actually probably one of the most spiritually like I mean it taught me a lot of things about life but or reaffirm or however but it was a thing where and ever since then she was completely my number one and she was just totally engaged she started learning English it was so beautiful even the next semester there was a little girl from India and she couldn't speak a lick of English. 
I mean, a lick of she couldn't speak a lick of English, but she couldn't speak a lick of, of Thai either. So she was dealing with two situations, and there was no translators whatsoever. And I and her became best friends, and I was teaching her how to speak Thai and English. And see how like something. As simple as that can embrace and engage a child, and it wasn't having a conversation; it was a song and a gesture. And you know, when we think about our kiddos that are are nonverbal, it goes so far. I mean, I've got a good amount of kids on over the course of the years, my soccer team, who are nonverbal, and it doesn't take that much. I think a lot of people think it's so hard to get through, and it doesn't for any kid. It doesn't. Gave her the time of day, like essentially, and it just she probably. I know you're not crying. I'm crying. We're just kidding. It's I'm not crying. You're crying. I said it reversed. Anyway, I'm sleep deprived, so it doesn't matter. We could talk to you all day, but we have to do things, I guess. <laughs> or you have to do things. Well, Sorry. I would love to come back anytime. Oh my God, we would love to have you on. Look out for John John's Academy on Facebook and you can check out his website. He's doing amazing things. Thank you oh, so also, much. Oh yeah. Coming just one more. Yeah, point. yeah. Um, we're actually going to be doing our own podcast. Oh yes. Oh, oh, oh I totally, that was yeah. the whole point of having you yeah, on. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> back to the basics. Yes. And just having awesome people like you guys and just allowing kind of a more objective voice to what it's all about working with children and being a parent and all those things and giving good advice and just you know relating things and bringing people together and trying to yes. really hope and love and care and but you know it's a lot of work and, and persistence right and patience yeah. yeah and definitely when he gets ready to launch we'll definitely keep you guys updated maybe even have you back on so you could talk more about it but yeah that was the whole point of me having him on but then he gave us this beautiful story about his background and everything so we hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did and we will have Coach John back thank you so much and Thank you guys. Uh, we'll talk to you guys, you guys later awesome. bye